0: Open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Our trajectory, our aim, the course that we are set upon, we are going to land on Galatians chapter 5 and 1, which says this. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to to a yoke of slavery. Now, like most churches, we created a graphic on the 4th of July with that very scripture on it. Um, we celebrated our country's independence, and we were reminded of the independence or, or the liberty, I should say, that Christ affords us through his sacrifice. More, most commonly, this scripture is used in reference to sin or, or, or the, the sin that we most uh, easily recognize, you know, drugs, pornography, promiscuity anger those sorts of things in context though while those things are certainly things we are liberated from through the blood of Jesus in context the slavery that Paul is referring to is the slavery of religion even the most staunch atheist is actually quite religious religion is anything that we believe and practice and, and, and use in the worship of something or someone. So most people they, they, they may not love Jesus, they may not know the God of the Bible, but when it comes time to get married, where do they end up? In a church with a minister who is going to perform this ceremony so that everything's you know up to code that their their marriage is legitimate. When somebody dies, what do they do? They contact the local pastor or the, their, their family minister. He comes, he performs the, the, the burial or the committal. Um, all very religious. Neither one of those things are bad, but those, those things end up in a religious context for folks who aren't Christian. When things go bad, I've got I've to go to church. I've got to go to a holy place. I've got to talk to a holy man i need to light a candle or or or, or recite a certain prayer for those of you who grew up catholic you know hail marys and that sort of thing certain uh uh saints quote unquote that you would pray to um i grew up in in a mostly non-religious family i knew who jesus was and and just wasn't that committed to him all all on me um just bits and pieces throughout my life where the lord just kind of popped in and out and i don't say this in a demeaning way but kind of just popped in like kramer from seinfeld just pop in hey tony don't forget about me and then i'd forget about him until much later in life in my my mid-twenties people in general are religious and that's a problem because religion paul is equating it to slavery Jesus has died to free us from the bondage of sin, Satan, and death, and religion. You might be saying, Pastor Tony, but I, I, I think I'm supposed to be religious. Um, it, isn't that what it means to, to read your Bible and go to church and to love Jesus? No, actually it's not. Religion, if you think about it, this is the best way for me to explain it. Religion is, if you're thinking in terms of building something, religion is building something yourself to reach God. But what the Bible preaches to us, specifically in the Gospels and specifically through Jesus, is that God has made a way to us. He has extended his hand to us, that he has done all things. He has cleared away all things. He has removed religion so that you and him and me and him and us and him can be connected perfectly or as perfectly as can be on this plane let's put it that way there will come a day uh you know we sing the song i'll fly away you know one day will come where we'll be in perfect communion and god will be our god and we will be his people that starts now but there's a battle that ensues sort of a whole nother sermon a whole another topic but but we we struggle it's it's a fight if you've given your life to jesus you know as well as i do that it hasn't been all daisies and muffins and, and, and Lifetime Channel movies since the day you gave your life to Jesus. It's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. You've had to fight sometimes daily, sometimes sometimes hourly to maintain this, this connection with God because a thousand and one things are vying for your attention. You are inundated with stuff to do, and you are busy because you're an American And I don't say that in a derogatory sense, just we as Americans, we are busy. And we struggle to find five minutes to read the word. We struggle to to get to church on a Sunday morning because that might be the only time we have off from work because we're busy. Because we're busy. And so many times because we're busy, we revert back to religion. Here's what the Galatian church did, and here's why Paul is writing to them. They experienced the grace of God. Paul went preached to a group of them started a church and then left he left it in the hands of elders in that area to grow that church and it did but in the meantime false teachers came in teachers who came in and said yes the grace of god oh it's awesome jesus is the best but you need this too you need circumcision you need to worship on friday night into saturday not sunday You need to experience and and practice these religious festivals that we have as Jews, things like the new moon and the Sabbath and the Feast of Trumpets and the Passover and and all these different things and Hanukkah and all these different uh, ceremonies. Now, I will tell you, that's not bad to to celebrate things like Hanukkah. But to say that your Christianity, your, your connection to Jesus is insufficient because you don't, that's false gospel. Yes, you can celebrate them, but those, that celebration doesn't make you any closer to Jesus. You're as close to Jesus as you ever will be on this side of heaven. The blood of Jesus, it, it, it connected you to God in a way that, that literally can't be severed. The Galatians have gone back to religion. See, here's the, here's the snare of religion. You think you're doing the right thing. You're, you, you are, you're going to church. You're saying the the word blessed instead of lucky. You're you're, you're making sure you're referencing Jesus so many times out of the day. You're making sure that you're reading X amount of chapters in your Bible. But when the mind is set on religion, it's slavery. See, when you begin to miss those things, now it's like, oh, no. I'm failing God, and he won't love me anymore. I didn't do this or that or that or this, and now God won't love me. Church, God loves you so much, the Bible says, that he gave his only begotten son. Before you were ever anything, before you were thought of in your parents' head, before you ever walked this earth, before you ever even sinned, God sent his son to die for you. Because he loves you that much. His son died to grant you repentance. He has died through grace. You can now repent. See, we don't repent to experience grace. We experience grace so that we might repent. It makes makes a world of difference to get those two in order. Because repenting to experience grace goes back to religion. Okay, if I just repent of my sin, then God will love me. No, God loves you. Repent of your sin. God loves you. Give those things over to him. Turn your life around. Walk away from sin. Walk towards the grace that is Jesus. Galatians 4 and 12 to get to our main text today. Brothers, I entreat you become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and through my condition or and though my condition rather was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me Real quick, side note, if you've never read the Bible, or you haven't read it all that much, or maybe you've never read the book of Galatians, and we're in this little chunk of scripture, and contextually, you're like, why are we talking about gouging out our eyes? Because see, from a non-Christian or a a younger Christian perspective, I look at this and say, you know what? This would be a hard chunk of scripture to understand. In a second, he's going to talk about childbirth. All this sounds very painful, okay? I don't want you to be discouraged. Just bear with me. Ask the Lord, he will guide you through his Holy Spirit. Have I become an enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Lord Jesus, your word is good and perfect, and, and literally it preaches itself. It is, it is perfect. It is, it is your son, the word, all of that perfection, Lord. I'm praying that now in our, in our imperfection, in my imperfection, that you would be made uh, – that your power would be made perfect. And I pray that we would hear these words not just with our ears but in our souls and in our spirits so that it changes us and gives us life and gives us hope, increases our faith. And causes us to serve in Jesus' name, we pray, Amen. Paul starts off by saying, "Brothers, I entreat you, or I beg you, or I plead with you. This is not a a a I'm, I'm at the I'm at a gunpoint. I, I need your mercy type of a begging. This is you will die type of a begging." this is please just take heed of what i am saying i am begging you i am in, i am entreating you i am pleading with you please hear the words that i am preaching to you church every minister who's who's worth this salt is is asking that same thing that you would please hear the words coming out of my mouth that you would hear them not just not just in a in a intellectual sense that you know 2 plus 2 makes 4 me without Jesus equals hell. Like, not like that, but in a way where, where every part of you is invested emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually, all of them working together. Paul is saying, I, I beg of you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. Out of context, this, this seems kind of arrogant. Hey, just be like me. You can go on the Internet and you can Google things like cults, and you can find a lot of men who have pleaded with people, hey, be like me, and then everything will be okay. And then they end up being massacred or dying in dying a fiery death or taking phenobarbital, waiting for the hale Bob comet. I mean it's all sorts of men and women and groups who who exalted a leader only to watch it all not dissolve but explode, and it costs real human lives. Real people lost their daughters and sons. Real people lost their moms and dads because they exalted a man. So is that what Paul is saying? Paul Is Paul exalting himself? No. Paul is exalting Jesus. What he is doing is saying, look, we have come together. We have become as one in the name of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, Eleven and, and verse one, he says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." The idea is, especially from a pastoral perspective, I am hoping that we all go the same direction. I'm heading towards the cross of Jesus. That's my direction. My hope is to get you going in that direction as well. I want for all of us to be going and going towards Jesus. And if you need to follow me as I follow Christ, great. If I stop following Christ, don't follow me anymore. Follow Him. Go after him. Go after his cross. I am am a faulty individual, okay? I I am being made perfect. I don't want to discount God and his power and all that. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus whom we exalt. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is that we have come together as one. As a church, we are not just a group of people who are all different. We're a group of people who are all different united by Jesus. We're a family now. We're a family in the best sense of the word. So so for you guys and for me, we, we are connected with a bond much like a family. And that means that we're invested in one another. That means when you hurt, it bothers me. That means when I hurt, it bothers you. That means when, when you're celebrating, we'll celebrate together. Jen's going to have a baby like any minute. And we're going to celebrate with them, aren't we? We're going to celebrate baby Sophia. We're going to just rejoice. We're going to look at the baby. We're going to try not to you know, uh, touch her because she's a baby. And we're going to just love the Baileys because they're new life. Alicia just had a baby. Not here this morning, but that's okay. She's usually back there with baby Dean. We rejoice because, because of, of life. Because babies are amazing. And they cost a lot of money. And they take all of your sleep. And they take your sanity. And they're amazing kids are the best you lose your job oh that's the worst you lost your job really yeah i don't know what i'm gonna do oh gosh i'm gonna pray for you if i hear any job leads i'm gonna send them your way and and just let me know what we can do i would just love you and oh you got a job Oh, you've got a job. Yes. Where are you working? Oh, that place. I hear it's good. Oh, that place. Let's hope it's temporary. That's okay. You've got a job. You're going to have money. You're going to pay bills. You're going to survive and exist. Praise God. Oh, it's cancer. God, it's cancer. How can we? How can we love you? What can we do for you? Oh, the doctor said the cancer's gone. Yes. Praise God. You see, once we become a family, all these things affect us. It's not just about me, rogue, individual, Christian. It's now me being part of the the brothers and sisters of Christ that make up the church. What Paul is getting to is that when that church was started, it wasn't just Paul lording over a group of people. It was a group of people coming together with an apostle, and they were starting this church in this place called Galatia. And there was such a great love for one another this is where we get to the eye-gouging-out part, that, that the, the Galatian church loved them so much that they wanted to help Paul. See, Paul suffered from a physical ailment. We're not exactly... When I say we, I mean like theologians, pastors, preachers. Not specifically sure what bothered Paul, but when he references his eyes, and we know that on the road to Damascus, he was blinded and, and scales fell off his eyes after three days. The speculation is that when... Paul's eye when you looked at Paul his eyes they bugged out Now if you've ever watched David Letterman he has occasionally people come on and they do something called stupid human tricks it's a great testimony to the state of our culture stupid human tricks and they come out and they just display all sorts of weird things oh i can make i can make animals with gum in my mouth like little sculptures like that's great This one particular lady held the world record for being able to protrude her eyes like so many millimeters it was crazy. It looked like somebody was strangling her, and she couldn 't breathe and her eyes were just blah. now imagine today 's sermon and my eyes doing that I'd just be like, and Jesus loves you like i can 't even do it with my eyes wouldn't you be like i can't hear what he says because i can't stop staring at his eyes and then and then he you know he ask you a question, how are you doing today i'm uh, uh, i I didn't mean to say I. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to look at your eyes. I'm not looking at them. Oh my gosh. Like that would be awkward, wouldn't it? But for the Galatian church, they said if we could gouge out our own eyes and give them to you. It's a it's a term of endearment. It's it's affection. I'd give you my eyes if I could. How many people who have ever seen somebody suffer have thought that same sentiment? You're going through cancer, I'd take that cancer if I could. And some people say it glibly or, or really flippantly, like, oh, I'd take that if I, if I could. No, you wouldn't. But others, it, when it hits close enough to home, it's like, I would, I would suffer for you if I could. I would give up some liberty I have, some, some grace that I experience, if you could have that grace too. Paul says, my eyes, they were so bad, but you would have given me your own eyes. That's how much we loved one another. That's how connected we were as a church. We became as one perfectly. But see, here's what happened. Paul left and other guys came in. And first and foremost, the elders of the church buckled when it came to the message of the gospel of Jesus. They compromised it. In thanking and in following the latest fad or the latest trend or the latest word, they compromised the gospel of Jesus to where it was no longer the gospel of Jesus. We started off this whole series with the gospel of Jesus plus anything equals nothing. When your gospel now now is contingent upon your actions, the gospel has been removed. The good news has been removed. The grace of God no longer exists because you've set up a system to experience God's grace. You, You have a, I've done this, God has to do this. No, no, no. God sent his son to die in your place, and through faith, you can be saved. You can repent. You can do these things because God's done it first. And so Paul says, We were like one. In Galatians 4 and 13, he says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. This might end up being one of the questions that I see in the Ask Your Pastor series, and I hope it is because we'll expound upon it then. Here's the question Why do I suffer? Some people like to dress it up, make it sound more christian But the bottom line is, why do I suffer? Why does God allow me to suffer? Why am I hurting? I don't like it. Hurting bad, not hurting good. Let's just keep it as basic and as simple as possible. Why do we suffer? There are some who make a good living teaching you that you don't have to suffer. Who, who wouldn't sign up for that? Oh, you say I'm not going to suffer? Sure, send me the newsletter and take my email. I want to be a part of that idea. It's anti-biblical. Jesus himself, the rest of the gospels confirm that we are going to suffer. The prophets and the, and the, the saints of the Old Testament, they suffered. Today, people in our world are suffering. If you're paying attention to what's happening in Iraq if you're paying attention to what's happening in the Ukraine, if you're paying attention to what's happening in the Sudan, if you're paying attention to anything that's happening outside of our own borders, people are dying because they love Jesus. In Iraq, groups of men, uh, terrorists, are going and they're finding Christians and threatening them with death and high taxes if they don't repent of their quote-unquote faith. Or, or repent to their faith, I mean. And if they don't, they mark their house with a symbol. These people, it's a symbol that literally means Nazarene, identifying them with Jesus. But here's the good news about Jesus. He takes those types of things and he flips them upside down. And now that symbol has become a symbol of unity for the Iraqi Christians. Praise God that what Satan intends for evil, God uses for good. Even the term Christian was originally a derogatory term. Jewish people called them little Christs because they were just trying to be like Jesus. Oh, you're just trying to be like Jesus. You're just trying to be like like Christ. And eventually the church was like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, okay, yeah, we just keep calling us that. We like that. So, but that goes back to why do we suffer? I'll give you four basic reasons as to why we suffer. First, turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now, Paul's going to refer to a physical ailment, which could be going back to his eyes. There, there's no direct correlation between the two. We can speculate, but just to be warned, that's my speculation. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Number one. One of the reasons why we suffer is to keep us from becoming conceited. True or false, people who are conceited, and I'm not pointing any fingers here in this chapel, could be anybody. People who are conceited, usually not the people you want to hang out with, right? They usually are very full of themselves, whether it be their talents or their looks or their intellect or their possessions or their status, whatever it might be. If they know about it and they're conceited about it, they're usually the last people you invite over. They're usually the last people you want to hang out with because everything invariably ends up being about them. Not cool. Paul says – and he kind of he just talks about the elephant in the room. He says, look, I'm, I'm seeing and experiencing a lot of things that most people aren't. I'm seeing people raised from the dead. I am seeing people uh, healed of great physical illness. I'm seeing churches explode. I'm seeing thousands of people get saved. I'm seeing churches. I'm I'm just starting a church in the middle of nowhere and churches are exploding. I am experiencing and seeing things. I'm writing books of the Bible. That's what makes the apostles a little different than modern day apostles. They write books of the Bible. He says, because of these revelations, there's this possibility of me becoming conceited, full of myself. Next thing you know, it's the first church of Paul. Next thing you know, it's the newsletter about Paul. It's the, it, it's the, the letter about Paul to the Galatians or the Corinthians or the Ephesians. Paul says, to keep me from being conceited, God allowed this suffering in my life. Some of your suffering is there. To keep you humble, to keep you from becoming conceited. Oh, Pastor Tony, I'd never be conceited. I'm human, I can be conceited. Just based on that fact alone. If you're a human, you have that tendency too. It might not be your go-to, it might not be in the top five of your responses to things, but with enough leash, sometimes we become conceited. And Paul says that one of the purposes of his suffering was to keep from being conceited. Some of you are really great at doing a lot of things. And to keep you from being full of yourself and thinking, oh, I'm so great. I'm the best. Look at what I produce with my hands. There is some type of suffering to keep you from being conceited. And in that way, suffering becomes a good thing. Even suffering in Jesus can be redeemed for a good thing. Number two, to rely more on Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here's what Paul is saying. We, we were preaching the gospel and we thought we were going to die. But then we realized that if we died and Jesus had more message, he'd raise us back up from the dead. If your ministry is not done and you die, God has the power to raise you back up and say, hey, get back to work. There's an instance where Paul is preaching a Bible study. It's going late on into the night, like hours, like we would have left a long time ago hours and there's a guy sitting in the window and they're up high which just recommend if you're up high don't sit in a window but this guy was must have been in a pretty comfy you know window he falls asleep i mean nobody here falls asleep at church but this kid did and he fell out and died this is why you don't sit in a window during a bible study if, if there's anything you learned today don't sit in a window during a bible study he falls out and he dies paul goes out prays for him he comes back to life. And doesn't tell him go home. Doesn't tell him, hey, go get a sandwich and relax for us today. Makes him go back to the Bible study. He died. Don't care. Back up to the Bible study. We got work to do here, folks. Kid, you got to get back up there and learn more about Jesus. And about how not to sit in the window and, and fall asleep during church. If you have work to do still. Now, I'm not saying God does this with everybody. Because certainly the evidence is, is all the way on one side that most people die and then stay dead. Until the resurrection, of course. But for some, I mean, they go into places that are, we call it the 1040 window where the the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Middle East primarily, it's illegal. I mean, by penalty of death to preach the gospel. Those men and women who go there, should they die and their ministry not be done? God has the power to raise them back up again. And the encouragement is to us that, well, wait a minute. Let's stay focused on the God who can raise the dead, not on the fact that we might lose our life. Paul went from a man named Saul who was destroying the church to a man named Paul being destroyed for the sake of Jesus. And that causes us to rely on God more. See, some of us, if we have a little bit too much money in the bank or things go too well for just a little bit too long, we start coasting. Everything's fine. Uh, My bills are paid and I've got a little bit of money left over. Nobody's been sick for quite some time. So you stop going to church, you stop reading your Bible, you stop pushing. And sometimes a little heat keeps you reliant upon God. And sometimes suffering does that for us. For Paul, certainly, they thought they were going to die. Their suffering produced in them a reliance upon God that was greater than they previously had. Number three, suffering makes you stronger, but not stronger in the working out in a gym sense you go to the gym it's you working out pushing stuff lifting stuff this is me at a gym thank you it's it's even more comical at the gym what you're doing is you're making yourself stronger but see there's this weird there's this weird I can't even know what to call it in Christianity where the weaker you get the more you suffer somehow God's power becomes more perfect Paul said so in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, the first reference I made. You'll have to look at your notes to remember what I was talking about. But um, he says, when, when I am weak, then, then God is strong. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. So in essence, you become stronger as you become weaker. See, that's completely backwards to the world. You have to become stronger than everybody else. You've got to fight and claw and hustle and, and, just, and just devour anybody in front of you. And the Bible says, no, when you're weakest, then you're most strong. You want to be in front, go to the back. You want to be up high, make yourself low. You want to lead, serve. It's consistent throughout the whole Bible that if that's, if you want to be powerful, allow yourself to be weak before God. Now, we're not weak before Satan. That would be foolish. But before God, where there is all peace and where there is safety and there's trust and there is this, this, this bond that is is created by Jesus, we can be vulnerable before him in that way. Lastly, and this is by no means an exhaustive list of why we suffer, but it's the last one I'm going to do. We suffer so that God is glorified. Here's what what I've witnessed. God is most glorified in me, not when I am most blessed, but when I most suffer. There are some who preach that if if you follow Jesus, you're going to get the car, you're going to get the mansion, you're going to get the boat, you're going to get the jet skis, you're going to get the stuff. You're gonna get a yacht. You're just what would you do with a yacht? You're gonna get a yacht. You can't even afford the taxes on a yacht, but you're gonna get a yacht. And 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 they they think that God will be most glorified in that. You know what the truth is? All that causes is for people to desire stuff, not Jesus. Well, I want stuff. You got stuff, I want stuff. How'd you get stuff? Jesus, okay, I want stuff, then I want Jesus but I don't really want Jesus. I want the stuff. Here's the great thing about suffering though. They told me it was cancer. Oh, you got cancer? I want cancer too. Nobody says that. Oh, you're suffering? I want your suffering too. I I want, no, but suffering in that you see the people and you say, oh, look at them. It's not taking them out. It's not burying them. It's not destroying them. Yes, they're being made weak, but, but look at how in their life, they're still praising Jesus in spite or despite the weakness see in suffering god is more glorified than in in blessing now god certainly does bless us I mean, we are breathing praise god we all have clothes on we live in a pretty awesome area i mean yeah it's got its faults but i love canastota i think it's a great place we're certainly blessed people we, we're here with friends and family i mean come on how cool is that but we're also suffering and God is more glorified in your suffering because people see Jesus most clearly when things are most dark. That's the thing about light and the light of Jesus. These are a few of the reasons why we suffer. And there are much more, and, and you can study those for yourself. But Paul says, look, we had this union. I was suffering. You would, have, you would have given your eyes to me so that I wouldn't have to suffer. That's how much we loved each other. But now I'm bringing you the truth, and now I'm becoming your enemy. What happened? What changed? Here's what changed. The Galatians. Paul hasn't changed. Paul started off the first couple chapters. Here's the gospel message. If somebody brings you a different gospel message, it's wrong. I'm 20 years later, I'm preaching the same message. Not anything has changed. Nothing is different. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel message has not changed. But But the Galatians have changed it, and that has changed them. And now when Paul brings the truth, he becomes their enemy. How do you respond to the truth? When someone brings you the truth, how do you respond? If it angers you, you're usually on the right track. Truth makes you angry. Let, let me give you a really good practical example. Have you ever found out one of your friends was phony? They weren't really your friends. They, they really were just there because of what you could do for them. You find out that their friendship with you was really surface at best. That makes you mad, doesn't it? Oh, it's just like I, I, I gave, I did, I did this for them. I did that for them. I gave them stuff. I watched their kids. I cleaned this. I invited them over to birthday parties. They sat on my couch. I mean, I just did so much for them, and and now that I need them, they've turned their back on me. And, and, and they've talked, not and worse, they've talked about me behind my back and they've, they've, they've done everything to just betray me when they're not in my face. That makes you angry. That makes you sad. That, that hurts you. However, it liberates you from a false friendship, doesn't it? It allows you to see exactly how things are. And so, yes, truth might make you angry, but it also liberates you. Jesus says that the truth sets us free, and that's true in in the sense of the gospel, and that's true with all truth. But how do you handle the truth? Does it anger you? Do you run from it? Do you embrace it? I would say let it anger you, but then embrace it. Know that at the end of that anger, you're going to have to deal with some things. You're going to have to find the truth in what is being said. If it's not true, hey, hold it up to the filter of God and let the Bible sort of sift it out. If it's not true, it'll fall away, right? If it's an accusation that's not true, just let the Lord do his work and everything will turn out okay. But if it's true, you got to deal with things. The Galatians, they got to deal with this. They got to deal with this gospel issue that they have. Galatians 4 and 17 says, they make much of you. Who's the they? The they is the false teachers. Here's where he says that these false teachers have come in and now they're trying to cut me out. From contact with you. Here's, here's one of the, the most uh, glaring red flags that you might be in the wrong type of uh, church, faith, theology, whatever. That there becomes some sort of list that is now grounds for excommunication. So, you cross the line onto that list. Here's what I mean Leader stands up, more of the exalted kind, the, the cultish kind, and says, Okay, you can't listen to those people. You can't hang out with those groups. You can't listen to that teacher or read their books. And if you do, you're gone. Because eventually, here's the things they don't say. Eventually, they're going to say something that contradicts what I am saying. And what they're saying is truth. And what I'm saying is not truth. And what they're saying is going to ruin this plan that I have. That allows me to be the leader. That allows me to be exalted. That allows me to be rich. That allows me to not suffer. Two thousand years of human history here between that day and this day, and nothing's changed. When a man or a woman or a group or a couple or whatever become the exalted savior of whatever, they begin to cut out and close off their followers. No, don't go over there. No, don't talk to those people. No, you can't. And some of you might say, well, if they don't believe like we do, shouldn't we extend a hand of love and, and these cultish leaders and – False teachers, we'll call them what they are. We'll say, no, put up the walls. You got to stay untainted. Hey, truth either supports what you're saying or it doesn't. Either what you're saying is a liar or it's truth. So, here's my sort of MO here at the chapel I don't usually throw anybody under the bus from the pulpit. Okay. If you ask me a question, you say, hey, what about this guy, this person, this book, whatever, then I'll give you my honest opinion if I have experience. So if you ask me about Joe so-and-so and his book and and uh, what he's written and I've never read it, I'm not going to throw him out and say, no, you can't read that. So I don't know. I will say just use caution and read and pray and you know live long and prosper, right? But if it is somebody that I'm familiar with, then I'll tell you my honest opinion. But at the end of the day, it's up to you you're grown ups. You you can make decisions on your own. I will I will lead you to the green grass and the still waters and all that, but at the end of the day it's your decision to make. Um my hope is that you will grow in your faith in such a way that you can see the wolves in the sheep's clothing. You'll be able to see the fangs on the sheep and see and say to yourselves that ain't right. You'll be able to see that they're being more predator than 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 a sheep might be. And say, this ain't right, and there's something wrong here. And that you will exercise discernment through the Holy Spirit. And at the very least, you at least allow that check in your soul to uh, cause you to pause for a moment. Say, you know what? Maybe there's something off here. I I don't want to be like Moses. If you read the Old Testament, Moses, he's got millions of Jewish people following him. And every day he's sitting down, and they're coming to him, and he's got to sort out their problems that's not my job as a pastor my job is to raise you up so that so that when it comes to these tough questions that that when you ask them you ask them in a way that that is exalting of Jesus of course but you're not afraid of them and you handle the truth and you and you and you pursue truth above all things that you pursue Jesus and for him glorified above all things and if that means knocking down some of the idols in your life then so be it the pastors and the teachers and the preachers and the books and whatever. I don't want to I don't want to be the referee of your life, you know, blowing a whistle every time you pick up the wrong book. I want you to be able to read and understand and and be good, strong Christians, people who rely on Jesus for all things. So beware of anybody who cuts you off, let's just put it that way. In Galatians 4 and 18, Chapter 4, verse 18 to 20, I want I want you to see this from the perspective of, uh, well, a, as a dad, but as a pastor as well. Paul says this in verse 18. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. See, at the end of all this, Paul has, has started off, he, he's, he's been scraping away all this false theology, just this, this garbage teaching that, is, that has just accumulated over decades of time. He's come back to remove that. But as he's removed it, here's where he's left with. He's left with anguish and pain and heartbreak. Not all of you are pastors, but some of you are dads, and, and, and pastors and dads, they're kind of similar in a sense. When someone you love and that you care for goes the wrong direction, it might anger you, but ultimately it has broken your heart. When my children make the wrong choice, more than anger, it makes me—it breaks my heart that they would, they would do such a thing or, or to do this or to do that or make this choice. That they would somehow forget my teaching and what I have expected of them and pursue something else. It breaks my heart. As a pastor, when I see you guys suffer, and I see you suffer because, not because of the first four things we talked about, but you're suffering because of bad choices, which is another reason why we suffer, it breaks my heart. Paul says it's like going through childbirth. True or false, childbirth is painful. Those of you ladies who have given birth, it's painful. At least that's what I hear. And that's what I see on television. And I don't want to scare any of you ladies from having babies, but my understanding is there's not really another pain on earth quite like it. Paul says, you know that kind of pain? That's what I'm in right now. Not because you guys did bad, Galatian church, but because you've forsaken the freedom found in Jesus for the slavery found in religion. And it hurts, and when when you guys do that, it hurts. It's like, oh, Paul says, I'm perplexed by you. I, I get perplexed too. You know what? It breaks my heart the most when I do it. Wow. What, why do I think that way? Why is my why is my go to the the re, the religious route? Why is it not the grace route? Why why did I do that again? Why? Why did I think that if I had a special person pray for me that God would hear me better? Why did I think if I read five chapters of the Bible that I'd get something more? And if I don't, then then God's going to be mad at me because I only read four chapters and not five. I failed God again. I failed him again. The truth is, folks, we're going to fail God a lot. We're imperfect. Imperfect things fail sometimes. It's sort of a given religion says you better try harder and grace says you've got jesus don't forsake the liberty found in jesus for the bondage found in religion ask yourself what part of my life and pray this what where am i pursuing god religiously rather than through relationally where have I set up parameters that if I do this and I do that, then God is God is obligated to do what I'm supposed to, what, what I want? Ask yourself this: If the world were to see me, to really see me, would they see religion or would they see Jesus? Because if we're gonna, you know, there are some who say, "Well, oh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary." Okay, that's dumb. That's usually said by people who don't want to preach the gospel because they're afraid to preach the gospel. However, however. There is truth in it. It can't be either or. It's got to be both. It has to be words and actions. And if your actions say religion and your words say grace, you've got a problem. If the world sees your religious acts and never sees any or hears any kind of grace come from you or vice versa, if they just don't see the two lining up, you've got a problem. The gospel of Jesus is not being preached by your actions. If you're preaching religion and, 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 and counting on the grace of God, you've got a problem. And so today I want to, through God's word, through his Holy Spirit, extend grace to you that you might repent. Now it's not my grace, it's the grace of Jesus. It's the grace that Jesus has offered you to repent of religion today. Nothing turns away Christ, excuse me, turns away the world more than religious Christians because they look like everybody else. They look like every other religion. And the truth, truth be told, our faith in Jesus is unlike any other religion on the face of this planet. No other God came to this earth, died for our sins, and then ascended back into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to reside in us as we have faith. No other deity that has wrath of, uh, that is just towards his people has ever stepped in front of that wrath and said, I'll take it myself. Only Jesus has. So let's stand this morning. Ultimately, the message is, where, what are you becoming? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Or are you becoming religious? Jesus died at the hands of religion. Jesus died because he did not meet the religious requirements that the Jews and the Romans had set up. I mean, ultimately, he laid down his life. He picked it back up again. We know that, but, but the way that it was transpired, the way that it transpired, religion. What does the world see when they see you? Do they see religion or do they see Jesus? I want you to pray with me. Lord, we want nothing more than for the world to look past us and to see your son. For any person here today that that knows your son even just a little bit, knows that it's not us that saves people, it's your son. And what he has done, and not, not what we have done. And so I'm praying, Lord, that we would continuously, not just even today, but as this week progresses, that this check in our soul would continue, where we'd recognize religion in our lives. Your little brother James said that there is a religion that is acceptable to you, that's, that's serving the widow, that's serving the orphan, and keeping yourself unstained from the world. We get that, Lord. But, Father, the religion that exalts our actions above your grace, that's what we're looking to extinguish in our lives. And I pray for your help for each individual here, Lord. May you show them that, that what is religion and what is relationship and, and, and where these things can be cut out. Because your word doesn't say that, that, that religion is just bad. It doesn't say that, that ritual is just bad, but it's slavery. It's our master. And we've only got room for one master in our lives, Lord. And we pray that you would be it. I pray, Lord, that that this grace you have extended to us now, that we repent of anything that that right now is coming to mind. For myself, I repent of my religion, Lord. For for my for my times where where the grace takes a backseat to the religious requirements that I've set up in my own mind. And I pray that you would continue to, to work that out of me, that I might know your grace. And then I pray for those who have a hard time with grace, that have a hard time just, just letting go of, of this idea of performing for you, getting things right for you, that, that if we if we don't show up in some big way that, that your gospel is not going to be preached, I praise you, God, that whether we are three or 300, your gospel gets preached, whether whether we, we are late on a Sunday morning or don't sing enough songs or don't have enough scripture that Jesus, you are still our God and you are still full of grace. And then even when we come up short, you are there to fill in the rest and let us never be so deceived like the Galatians to think that it's based on us and not you. Jesus, we love you and we pray that the whole world would know you and thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.